This is Bespoke, a podcast exploring the making of bespoke objects and experiences. Devised and hosted by Adriana Pace-Kent. Hello, and a very warm welcome to Soshiro, to London Craft Week, to a conversation about the vital art of commissioning. I'm Adriana Pace-Kent, founder of Woven Spaces, a creative lab that explores how to build better and shape meaningful places. Within that, Woven Voices is a platform that brings together creative minds in conversation, inspiring a deeper connection to the world around us. The panel session this evening is being recorded and will be edited for broadcast as part of Bespoke, the Woven Voices podcast series that delves into the mysteries of commissioning through conversations with designers, makers, clients and conduits. And I'll explain what I mean by conduit in a moment. First, let me introduce our brilliant panel. So Maria Chung is the director of the leading architectural practice Squire and Partners, where she oversees a team of designers working across a wide range of projects, from large-scale mixed-use developments to one-off houses, workspaces and co-living schemes, to installations and product designs such as bags and door levers. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Kate Maestri is an award-winning architectural glass artist with an international client list including major public and private organisations. Kate's work spans high-profile commissions in airports, art centres and corporate offices, as well as smaller private commissions. One of Kate's favourite projects is just around the corner from here at 10 Portman Place. If you haven't seen it, do stroll past it at some point. The art and the architecture are contrasting yet perfectly integrated. It really is fabulous. Kate, it's a pleasure to have you with us this evening. Thank you. So our host this evening is Shiri Mashiri, founder of tonight's venue, Gallery Soshiro. A truly global citizen, Shiro has personal and professional roots in Kenya, Italy, the States and the UK, amongst other places. In an interview with Authority magazine, Shiro defined leadership as the ability to influence people into doing the right thing. I find that fascinating. It reveals a view of leadership, not as a right or a privilege, but a set of skills. And that its purpose is not to control others, but to influence them. Shiro, thank you so much for allowing us to use this amazing space this evening. Thank you, Adriana. Now, Shiro's background in design and architecture reflect her passion for creating harmony between people, space and buildings. And maybe that explains why, in addition to being a designer and maker, Shiro is also a conduit a word that's origin means to lead or bring together. So conduit is perfect to describe her role, bringing together clients, makers, galleries, and other stakeholders in commissioning. It also contains the element of leadership, very much in the mold that Shiro highlights in her definition, using skills to influence people to do the right thing. So for the past few years, we've been told that we're going to build back better. But how do you consume consciously in the built environment? In so many areas, we're rediscovering the organic connection between individual craft skills and the ever more complex and technologically advanced approaches to building and placemaking that dominate our environment. The opportunity for us, I believe, is to make visible the quality of craft thinking as well as making to weave bespoke elements into the fabric of the building and transform spaces, providing long-lasting value that reaches beyond fads to create buildings with distinctive character. By doing so, we can envisage how to work with craft skills at scale. 
And to succeed, we need to understand the vital art of commissioning in this context. And that's the focus of our conversation this evening. So, Kate, let me start by asking you about your practice. How did you come to use traditional glassblowing for architectural commissions? Um, also, I studied public art, a degree, and MA in public art. And um, when I graduated, I started working on architectural commissions. So, uh, using really contemporary stained glass, but integrated into architecture, different buildings. Um, I see my work really as being in the tradition of stained glass. So there is um, an opportunity to use traditionally mouth-blown stained glass, the kind of glass that you would find in a church window. But also because we're in the 21st century now, technology has moved on. So a lot of my work, um, it uses screen-printed ceramic enamels or airbrushed uh, ceramic enamel that's fired onto the glass. Uh, but there is an option uh, to use traditional stained glass. So there's a company in Austria who still make it in the same way. It's mouth-blown onto a sheet of tin. Uh, it finds its own level, so a piece of glass is generally a metre square. Um, and so one side might be four mil thick, so you might have, if it's a green sheet of glass, you might have a really beautiful deep green. And coming through to the diagonal, the opposite corner, it might just be three mil, so the shade, the tone of the green is slightly different. And I love the organic quality of that. Um, of using that mouth-blown process within my work. My work's very minimal, um, very technical, and it's it's a lovely way to kind of reach back into the past to use this mouth-blown traditional stained glass, but in a very contemporary design and in a very contemporary building. So, Maria, how do you manage the challenges of weaving these bespoke elements, a little like Kate was discussing here, into a large con construction contract. Yeah. So actually, if you get it, if you have the idea early enough, it's actually quite simple because um, in reality, most of the elements are, are a contractor kind of coordinating different trades. You know, you have your, your stud work going up, you have your electrician coming in. So there's a lot of coordinations. And of course, that you know, if we're doing a new build, it starts from the foundation upwards. So that level of coordination contractors are really used to is about at the outset knowing that you want to do something and then setting a pot of money aside. So really important to have a provisional sum allowed, saying, well, we'd like to have an installation. For instance, when we did the collages, we knew we wanted um, a beautiful light installation in the reception. So we knew that, okay, it's gonna be quite big. We need to allow some space for it. Letting the contractor know and the client to agree to commissioning a piece of work. And then, and then just then working through it, because as soon as they know that actually I need to allow a six meter by four meter <coughs> chandelier to come in at some point, then they'll just allow the space for it. And then weaving and working with the project manager to kind of say, this is when it's gonna come in and them letting us know when we need to have actually finalized the design and actually agree what, who's, who's putting what up. That's what they really need to know. Who's responsible? <coughs> you know, can we get in there? When can we get in there? And, um, and then it's actually really straightforward. It is actually a coordination that is, it's not that difficult because actually putting a building is difficult together and that's just, it's one small component of it. Having explored the practical challenges, Shiro, what do you think are the current barriers to commissioning from a more kind of psychological or cultural perspective? Well, I mean, commissioning, it's, it's, it's anxiety that is the biggest on both sides that's the biggest barrier. Uh, managing the expectations 
and the vision of the client and the artist to know that and, you know, be on the same page, I think that is one of the barriers. So you fear the unknown. I mm-hmm. mean, um, cost, you know, you it's a new thing, never done before. You've got to estimate costs, which might, you know, get technical challenges that might uh, increase those costs and the fear of not knowing how much the spend is going to be is one of those barriers as well. And I think as you work with contemporary artists, uh, in terms of from a cultural perspective, um, there's a lot that can be, you know, art is subject to interpretation. And sometimes you want to make sure that it doesn't f- um, end up in a kind, kind of, you know, uh, uh, it's not perceived in a way that you didn't anticipate. Um, and it's permanent, there's no going back on it. So there's a lot of research that I think you need to do to make sure you're comfortable with what is going to be uh, a brand new item that you're you're putting together um, with an artist. And I think uh, what we do here is try to put down the barriers, you know, help the visualization using tools like to make people, you know, visualize what it is, understand the story of the artist, what what they're doing and what are you part of. And I think the human side of of it all makes people want to take that risk. I think Kate talked about, you know, being brave. I think once you understand the uh, the impact of what you're doing and what it who it speaks to, um, uh, so bringing the story to the fore, I think those are the... Uh, I think the immediate things that I would think would be uh, barriers to, to, to going ahead with commissioning a piece of work. So Kate, how do you dig into a client's purpose to understand what they're really after and shape a kind of viable brief for yourself? Um, I would say that collaboration is probably the most important element of that. So um, at the beginning of a project, you'll spend time with the architect and the client um, and really listen to their vision, uh, their hopes for the new building or the new space they're creating. Um, And I think by being part of their conversation, you know, through the development of the building, you can, you just have to listen very carefully. And at some point, and if there's a, a magical moment where everything kind of comes together and makes sense and you can see really clearly, okay, this is what is going to work in this building, you know, because for my work, it's very important that it's fully integrated, that it works in harmony with the architecture. Um, and so I think the only way to guarantee a successful outcome for a project is really to collaborate closely. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's really the only way to fully understand um, or or to interpret the brief, you know, what the client is after. Shiri, what are the factors that make you confident that a brief is going to work? Well, I think um, once you establish um, the tech, the feasibility, you know, it's possible to do what's being tried. And then you can, when you're talking to the artist and you're asking them to do something, maybe scale up or, you know, something that's, or work with a fabricator, once you feel that the artist is comfortable and actually wanting to be more ambitious, then you know you've got somebody on board and, you know, they, 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 they are, they've clicked to it. Uh, like, you know, so you, you've got that moment, you've got that person who is going to work and is excited about the project. Uh, so I think we know it's going to work when the artist is fully on board and wants to go beyond the brief and uh, when the client is completely uh, enjoying the process. 
and enjoying the, you know, going to somewhere they've not been. I'm excited about seeing something that's new that they can't visualize at the beginning. When you feel that excitement on both sides um, and the practical side is looked after, then you think it's going to work. Brilliant. And um, Maria, can you name a particular commission that was a turning point for you in terms of your reputation or innovation in your practice? I think the first, um, so we're actually quite interesting in, a posi- in positionally because we are, um, we, we are both, we have both commissioned and been the person who aids the commission, be the go-between person, and also been the one who's been commissioned to do something. And I think the one that we've been commissioned to do something, the most memorable one and probably the one that started the rest of our installation work was probably the um, the Brooks Brother installation that we did for the RIBA windows back in 2014. Um, Regent Street then had this great kind of like um, week where they had three weeks actually where it coincided with London Fashion Week and London Festi- Design Festival and they would transform the street with loads of different um, shop fronts and they encouraged all of the retailers to um, work together with an artist, with an architect like us, a designer, and then just produce something different for that, for that, for that kind of period of design week or three weeks um and so we were just paired with brooks brothers and we're kind of like, okay well why not let's go meet them and um and they kind of at first in the show it was like well we have these great shirts and these great suits you know we could display all of these in the in the shop room we went oh we don't want to do that you do that 24 7 all the time for the rest of the year this is like a really three special three-week experience that loads of people are coming to london to see so we digged a little bit deeper, researched their company, and then one symbol that they have, or their logo rather, is the golden fleece. And we slightly fell in love with this sheep that was like dangling down. We didn't know if it was happy or sad, but we fell in love with this idea. And we thought, well, why don't we do something like this? Because it's actually representing Brooks Brothers. And this is something that is a heritage, is their logo since the 18, 1850, I think. Um, and so... Then we started talking, going, well, we could do shirts, but why don't we do sheep? And, um, and then before we knew it, they kind of said, well, actually, these, there could be some ideas about it. And we thought, about sheep floating around in your shop window, how about that? And they went, hmm. And then they quite quickly put us together with their, um, their own merchandising and visualisation team, which, who were amazing. It couldn't have happened without them. Because then we kind of said, well, why don't we just have more sheep? And if we had 780 sheep, then we can make this one big sheep. And then we kind of went, yes. And then the conversation just flowed. And then it was then the actual install day, kind of like 24 hours of us threading sheep onto rods that we pre-made. Um, and then we also managed to convince them to do an inst- um, to commission um, Jonathan Sanders, a British sculptor, to make a giant, well, not a life-size sheep. It was giant compared to all the other tiny sheeps. Um, and that was made and that was brought up. And that night we had this crazy idea, why don't we have hooves printed on the road? You know, and then we kind of went, yes, let's kind of get a stencil cut out. And so it just all kind of came together. And it was, it was a, a, a great group of people and what was great was the result looked stunning. And we have to say, you know, even if our, if our own work, but it did look stunning and we really enjoyed it and it was really interactive. But what was great also was that it had a life after because they liked the installation so much and it was demountable. It moved over to Shanghai to their store in Shanghai and it went to America. So it, it kind of did a little round and Madison, the sheep, we named the sheep, kind of traveled around with it. And so that experience was so was a complete eye-opener because when we said, yeah, we'll do this, we didn't know what we were going to head into, um, but the journey was so pleasurable and there's so much discovery and pushed us to our kind of potentials 
um, and the result was such a wonderful um, piece of work that moved round that. And um, how can a client, um, Shiro, help secure the best possible outcome? Is it by being absent and trusting the process or is it better for them to be involved intimately with what's going on? I think being involved, it depends on the client, I think. Um, some clients want to get involved because they are from the industry, the artists themselves in a, in a certain capacity. Um, but I feel that if they engage, then they're part of the team that's trying to get all of this done. So you try to pull in where they have a really um, interest in and make them part of that and see how much the commissioning process can engage with that part so that they're um, they connected in a, they, they, they're part of the whole process in a healthy way and a way that they feel they're not intimidated, they're not being asked to make decisions about outcomes they cannot understand, you know. So it's trying to get them involved in a way that um, they feel, and when they look at the work, you know, that's how you get addicted to commissioning, <laughs> right? Is when you see your influence in the end of the work and you think, okay, I can, you know, do something else and bring that part of me. Um, so I think it's the way you engage them. And of course, it depends on who they are and how much time they want to give the whole process. Brilliant. Thank you. So, Kate, what makes a commissioning relationship go from good to great in your experience? Um, well, definitely the level of collaboration. So if an artist is engaged with the architect, the client, the fabricator, the engineer, um, even in some cases, if it's a if it's an office development, you need to be in touch with the sort of high end letting agents because they have an agenda too. Um, so you have to really understand the uh, the vision for the building that everyone has, um, and yeah, really to just speak to them, understand properly what's going on and I think the alternative is if an artist is just given a written brief maybe a sort of cursory meeting with the architect and the client and then actually there's no more connection after that not really and what happens as an artist you're kind of working in the dark you know you're working blind because you miss so much by being part of meetings and workshop meetings with the architects there are tiny things that might get mentioned, you know, like, I don't know, maybe there's a piece of door or a framework that's slightly in the way, or you'd like it moved because it just impacts on the work that you're proposing. And in a meeting, you can just have that conversation and the architect can say, yeah, no, no problem, actually we can move this. The projects where you are really involved as an artist with every element, so the planning application, everything, um, they're definitely the most successful, yeah. Maria, what part of the commissioning process from brief to production to delivery do you find the most rewarding? I think it's, the, it's probably the, the middle part when we've kind of all agreed we're going we're gonna to do this journey together and um, whatever the brief is, kind of, but we've kind of said, OK, we're going to do this. And then everyone starts getting really engaged and going, and we're pinging ideas of each other. It's like, you know, was this possible? Can we do this? Someone goes, can it rotate? It's like, well, maybe it can rotate, maybe it can't. But then that that kind of excitement of actually just a group of people all with their own specialities coming together and making something happen and that magical moment and then working out how you're going to deliver this idea. I think that for me is really exciting. And then actually coming to the making part is almost right up until the delivery of that 
okay, we've managed to put the last piece of stone together. Right, that's come together at the right place, right? And then you breathe out. And then, of course, the, 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 the installation or the product itself is great, but actually the magic, I think, happens from that you've agreed you're going to do this together to actually delivering it. Wonderful. Now, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all our guests on Bespoke is, what's your dream commission, the one that you drop everything for? I think it's, I'm going to be quite selfish about this one. So it's not just one. I'm going to, I'm going to umbrella it into, um, I, I would love to have a pavilion that I would be able to bring together different people who would probably never work together. So um, maybe a glass artist with a sofa maker. And actually, let's try and make a piece of furniture that is beautiful and display light qualities of the different glass and the colours but it's also comfortable enough for a sofa that someone wants to lounge on. Kind of like if we can try and think of impossible relationships and actually seeing the outcome of those. So it can't be just one piece. It has to be a whole <laughs> pavilion full of them. And, um, and I think, and, and, and you can imagine that this was an endless possibility because there are so many things that could know, you don't normally imagine together and, and it could just continue. So it's a, a, a greedy one, an endless pavilion. <laughs> but a fantastic one. Um, Kate. How about you? Mm -hmm. I do. I absolutely do have a dream commission. Mm -hmm. um, so although I work in stained glass, I've never, ever made a window for a church. Um, but they've all been for contemporary buildings. And I would love to make a modern window for a cathedral, maybe, or um, an existing church, or, or a contemporary, a modern super minimal, beautiful church. Um, and I would like to, I'd like to make it using traditional stained glass, um, but obviously in a very contemporary way, so without lead. Um, so the colours just bonded to the, the structure of the glass. And if I could really choose, um, it would be floor to ceiling. And it wouldn't just be a window, it would be kind of three dimensional. So you could actually move and maybe sit within it so you're completely bathed in this coloured light. Mm -hmm. Almost like a little chapel on the side. Getting goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'd really like to do. So sure, it's a hard one to follow. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it's going to be as exciting as what Maria and Kate are saying. No, I think the my dream commission would be to tell a story, a compelling story of a community or... Um, or an issue or something that's really exciting that is going to engage people who would not necessarily do. And having the freedom to select who to work with, what materials to work with, um, where to present it, if I could choose that too, um, that would be fantastic because then you, it's a huge responsibility, but I think it's a really enjoyable one because it really makes you, um, it, it's going to be beautifully challenging, if I can say that, because you'll have lots of learning opportunities, learning about the community, learning about the different people coming together, huge risks and uh, that sort of thing. But I think telling a story is um, through art and drawing on, you know, whatever many collaborators there might be, 10 or 20, and, you know, presenting it in a very uh, dynamic way would be just, you know, a dream come true. Very exciting. I like the scale and the scope of these, these commissions. So um, thank you very much. I, it would be great if we could now invite some questions from our fantastic audience here this evening. Thank you very much. Adriana, it'd be wonderful if you could just tell us a little bit about what your 
favourite, your ideal dreamlike commission would be? Oh, God, no, don't put me on the spot. I've no idea. Um, well, I think I would really love to work with a parade of buildings. Not one, I want many. Um, because I'd be really interested to see, well, how could you bring distinct characters to a range of different buildings of different architectural styles and bring out those stories and weave them together into a much richer um, environment where people can engage with their surroundings in a different way and have invitation to have different relationships with their buildings. So there you go, another big one. Just nothing small. I want a whole street. I want it basically a high street. That's it. So thank you. Um, I just wanted to ask all of you, I found it vastly interesting how each of you have a different passion, how each of you have a different response to that passion. Um, for myself personally, I, as an artist, like to go through different periods and different understandings of work in general, but I'd like to ask all of you. Um, uh, currently for myself, I'm working with sound and I'd like to know from all of you, do you think sound has a place in your particular industry and in your particular work and craft? Sound has a really important part. I think the senses are incredibly important. Um, and actually, we worked um, closely with um, Tom Middleton, who is, he calls himself a sound architect. And that's the first time I heard that, that, that phrase. And I thought, actually, it makes so much sense because it does shape the environment in a way that you don't see it, but you absolutely feel it. Um, yeah, so my background, um, I wear many hats. Um, I'm going to put on my artist hat right now. So I make interactive textiles and I use touch sensitive embroideries um, to capture fragments of poetry. And you're invited to trace the contours of the words embroidered on the canvas. And then when you do, it unlocks another fragment of poetry that whispers out from behind the canvas. So I'm passionate about sound and how sound can transform people's understanding of space and the layers of memory that we leave on different spaces, the traces of experience. And I think sound is phenomenal at helping to unlock those magical stories and moments. Hi, I was just going to say, my name is Katerina. Um, I was just going to say, I think architects and artists and designers kind of speak a similar language. What happens in a building when you've got a project manager that's trying to run this on time and on budget and they don't appreciate necessarily the same things that we do? How do you resolve that? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a really interesting question because as an artist, your main preoccupation on a project is to create something beautiful that you know is integrated into the building. And actually, there are very simple ways of organising it. So I have a very detailed contract and part of the contract is a one-to-one -one bespoke sample that has everything that's going to happen in the artwork. So it has all the colours, it has the way it's installed, the way it's fabricated. And that's that's actually an integral part of the contract. It's been signed and agreed by everybody. So actually the project manager on site, they, they kind of have to adhere to everything that's been agreed. I think there's also a, a case of bringing them along with you as well. Because um, in... Or two buildings that we've done, the department store, which is our own office, and also then subsequently, a couple of years later, the ministry. In both cases, we wanted to expose something about the building. And, um, and we were very keen on kind of like just stripping back the paint. And so this actual, this quite magical thing happened. It was like, oh, actually, this is really beautiful. Um, but then how do you describe that to a contractor 
we want you to peel a bit more paint off. We don't really know how much, but you're going to have to just ride with us. And um, and it took a while, and it took a lot of a lot of kind of like commitment from our side. I think we were there was somebody on site every day, just going, oh. This bit of wall's done. Let's just put it. Let's just put make it really clear. We printed out A4 sheets of paper saying, "Wall finished. Do not peel or sand anymore." The, the contractors thought we were crazy. We thought we were completely logical. This is exactly what you'd do. How would you do it any other way? And um, but by the end of the process, they began to see that we really cared about the building and we wanted to reveal more and more about it to a point where. They were doing something to a window and then they, they knocked a bit of concrete off and then realised that around this one particular window in the department store was actually a beautiful curved column. It's actually plaster, curved plaster. And they kind of went, you... and it was actually one of the one of the foremans on site went, do you want to just come have a look at this? And it's not it's not on your drawings. You're not going to say, like, you can see this. And went, do you want me to peel a bit more off? And it's like, oh, yes, please. And there's, that was a moment we kind of got them engaged and they and they were part of our journey. And that was great. They were telling us how we can then enhance our building. And that was a really joyous moment. Hi, um, we've, we've spoken about physical spaces and senses and maybe even sort of, you know, moving into digital realms. What would your advice be for people commissioning art in the future about what their artwork is going to represent and what its purpose is? I think I've come across that when I try to engage artists to do something different with that is departing from what they work with, like make a piece of furniture and you know, or, um, or, or an accessory or something. I think they, there's a lot of, especially if it's furniture, when you speak to artists about furniture, like you're kind of, it's quite reductive to say you're going to put my art in furniture. But I think is once, once they know and you have to build a trust, you have to build a trust and make sure that at the end of it, they take ownership of the piece as much as you do. And they you ask for questions and you know collaborate. I think collaboration is very important. I think once they're sure that you're not just trying to transpose their work and maybe misinterpret it, and once they're sure that you're going to carry the spirit of their work and you're going to um, keep them informed about where the, what you do with the work, whether once they get that trust built, I think then it's easy to go ahead. But that's a difficult thing, building the trust. Hi, my name's Esri. Um, uh, there was a list published in Dezine recently of so-called biomaterials, things like hemp and mycelium, raising the astonishing prospect of, of buildings essentially made out of mushrooms and that continue to grow after they start being used. Um, is that a shift that you're seeing, any of you? And if so, what impact might it have on the whole issue of integrating craft into the built environment? So definitely in terms of using materials that are sustainable is, is a key thing that is, that's been, you know, it feels recent, but we've been thinking about it for a long time. Um, we have actually discussed in the office whether we could do, um, uh, there's, a mush, there's, a, there's a leather that's made from mushroom, and we were going to use it for our um, bonquettes in our new um, restaurant um, at Belfields. I think we just couldn't quite get the... I can't remember if it was the fire rating or there's some technicalities that prevented us from using it. And then I, I guess it's kind of like we would be very excited to use it. I think it's um, the idea that you can it will just decompose it at the right time or at a certain period of time gives that kind of like ideal kind of like sustainable kind of like life cycle of material that it kind of like just decomposes. There's two ways of thinking about it. Are we building buildings to last or are we using materials that will be able to go back into the process? Yeah. 
And thank you. Um, I think we have time for one last question. Awesome. Hi, and thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, my name is Lisa, and just, I guess, curious for the panelists, you know, what is your search and curation process. For example, Maria, you know, talked about for your pavilion project, wanting to work with artists of different mediums and uh, just curious, yeah, what each of your process is. I guess it's actually, uh, you know, how this, how it could happen is, is probably actually what happens in real life for us quite a lot because we are, um, we're asked to design lots of things um, and different things and different, because we work across quite a few different sectors. The key part for me is actually the openness for something that you hadn't imagined before to actually be created. But I think it's about establishing the framework for a conversation, for a meaningful conversation and allowing people to understand, to feel the edges yes. of what is possible because then the minute you feel the edges, you know where you can push and that leads to really exciting outcomes. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for joining us this evening. It's been a really exciting conversation. Maria, Kate, Shiro, thank you for sharing all your experiences and your insights into you know, the, this vital art that is commissioning. So thank you. This is Bespoke. So look out for the next episode of Bespoke. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to the show and connect with us through our website, wavenvoices.co.uk and Instagram at Bespoke. We'd love to hear from you. So for now, it's goodbye from me, Adriana Pace-Kent. And as ever, a massive thank you to all my guests. Bespoke is a Woven Voices production. Find out more at wovenvoices.co.uk. Brought to you by Woven Spaces, shaping meaningful places online and on site. Audio production by The Boy in the Corner.